a lot of times there's so much going on, we don't actually see what's going on. If you ever noticed that, I've, I've got some videos I've seen where uh, there's a, uh, a, a bunch of people bouncing basketballs and a gorilla walks through the middle of them. And nobody ever noticed, or somebody dressed like a gorilla, and nobody even notices the gorilla. And when I say, did you see the gorilla? They say, oh, what are you talking about? They're watching the people bounce the basketballs. Well, sometimes what happens with people is, is they don't recognize what's going on. I mean, let's say, for example, your husband says, I don't want, I don't want to go to that restaurant anymore. And when they say something, they, they say, I just don't like the food. But the reality is, they, it's not the food that they don't like, but the real reason is so insignificant that they don't want to say what the real reason is. They'll say something, you know, the real reason is, is because maybe they, they, they think the parking is terrible there. Or, or maybe the, they don't like the, the way it looks on the inside. It's just as ugly, you know, or something. Or, or, or maybe, they, maybe it's just so crowded or maybe it's so loud they don't like it. But they think that it's so insignificant that they won't tell you what it is. And what people do is, is they always attack what they say they're going, that's the reason. And, and they don't think, you know, I need to find out what the real reason is. Now, understand this, folks. All behavior is goal-directed. And because all behavior, you might even put that on the screen. Thank you. All actions are goal-directed. Got it wrong. All actions are goal-directed. Now, what happens with all actions being goal-directed, we need to recognize that, that somebody has a goal. But here's the thing that is more amazing to me than even that. Your own actions, sometimes you haven't recognized why you're doing what you're doing. And what I have realized is, is that for a lot of people, they come to church, and you know what they'll say? Church has become boring for me. And they don't understand why it is boring for them. And there was a time in their life when they would, you know, they, they had a quiet time every day. I mean, they couldn't miss that time where they read the scriptures and they, 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 they spoke to God. God spoke to them, but now it's become kind of dull. And so the natural reaction that a lot of people have is, is that it must be the church. I mean, it couldn't be them, could it? It could, must be the church that has caused this to happen. And so what do they do? They go to another church. Now, another church is always going to be a little exciting because you don't know what's going on. They sing songs you don't know. They, there's people that you're probably, you're wondering, I don't want to sit in somebody else's seat. You know what I'm saying? And so you're going in, there's a little bit of excitement in there, there's a little trepidation in that, because you, you don't know what's going on when you go to the new church. You, you don't, you know, so it's, 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 it's new and that becomes a little bit exciting. You say, oh, I found the, the exciting church. Now, there's a reason to go to a different church. I, I'm not going to tell you there's not a reason to go to a different church. I'll, I'll tell you some of the reasons. One is, is that the church you're going to really isn't preaching the Word of God. You understand that? You need to go to a place that's preaching the Word of God. The, the place that you've been going to, maybe they've, they've lost their focus. Their focus isn't on, on the Lord. The focus is not on what God wants them to do. It's not about making disciples. They're focusing on something else. Uh, or, or maybe maybe you've been hurt. And I'm not talking about you got offended by somebody in church. I mean, again, uh, this has happened uh, more than once. I was a singles minister for many years. And what we'd have is we'd have a couple that got divorced. And when they got divorced, they struggled with going to the same church. You understand? 
and there's a reason to go to another church. Do you understand what's going on there? Or there's, you know, or the, they can just flat out, they can just flat out hurt you and you need a new church. I understand that. But that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about church becomes dull. And so let me tell you what makes God dull to people. See, what happens is, is that somewhere down the line, you've walked up to the edge with God and he's asked you to do something. And you looked at it and said, I don't think I can take that step out there because there's nothing out in front of me. There's nothing out there, you know, and so you back off. And then what will happen to you in your life is that instead of you walking with God and now walking with faith, understand when you get to a certain maturity level, you're not going to have everything put in front of you like it was before. What you're going to have is, is you're going to have to take those steps, even when the steps don't look like they're there. And I'm going to tell you that becomes incredibly exciting. So what you do is you back off. And then after that, what happens is you're going to church and there's something that happens in church and you say, oh, I, you know, I, I get so excited about God again. And you walk right up to that edge and God says, take that other step. You say, I'm not going to do it. And you back off. So what you have is not a picture of God anymore. What you've got is glimpses and glimpses aren't enough to live on. When I started this message that I have this morning, I didn't plan on it going where it was going. It's called, What About the Donkey? And you know the story of the donkey. The donkey that's in the scriptures that Jesus would have ridden into Jerusalem. I'm telling you the truth. I I was a little bit fascinated with that donkey story. You see, it doesn't explain why that story is there. You know, if behavior is goal-directed or actions are goal-directed, why did God include that story? Not only is that story in Matthew, but that story's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's in the synoptic gospels, all three of the synoptic gospels. So why is it in there? I mean, why did he ride in on the donkey? He's walked in Jerusalem every time he went in before. You understand what I'm saying? And so let's look at this. Now, I've done something really unusual. You have the notes. You're going to be able to follow along with me. If you're trying to do it in the Bible, you're not going to. Because what I did was, as I took each of the synoptics and where it was a little bit of difference, I switched to that book. So I have Mark, Matthew, and and, uh, Luke all in here. We'll start in Matthew. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me, Luke says. And when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village in front of you where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. You see the difference in the story? Just a little bit. It's interesting who brings out what in here. No one had ever sat on this donkey. Back to Matthew. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. 
Then this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, but humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of the beast of burden. Let's go on to Mark then in this. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at the door outside in the street. And they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said. And they let them go. Go back to Matthew. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Go to Luke. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. Different things. Now, two questions we have here. One, why did Jesus get a donkey to ride into the city and why do you do it this way and two why did the writers include this story now understand this this story was obviously a strong testimony to the disciples you recognize you understand there's only two of them that went in there and did that but yet we got Matthew Mark and Luke all writing about it so they had to tell the story to the rest, not only to those disciples that they had there, those 12, but to, the, uh, to other people. And they kept telling this story because Mark and Luke were not of the original 12. You understand that? They weren't there. So it's something, so what did they learn? And I looked at this and I said, what did I learn from this story? And my first thing is this, Jesus is God. You didn't, you know, here's the situation. God has divine knowledge. Jesus has divine knowledge. Has Jesus ever shown his divine knowledge before? Yeah, remember the story of Lazarus? You know, Lazarus, you know, when they said Lazarus is sick, he says, well, this, this sickness will not result in death. He knew all about it. He knew what he was going to do. He knew he was going back to Bethany. He knew he was going to, he was going to resuscitate Lazarus. Then he didn't resurrect him. There's a difference between resurrection and resuscitation, but I'm not going to go into that. He resuscitated Lazarus, and he knew he was going to do that. But what about the time when he told Peter, Peter, go out and, 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 go out and catch a fish. And when you get that fish, it's going to have a coin in the mouth. It's going to be a two drachma coin. It's going to be in the mouth of that fish. Now think about that. That's pretty much incredible divine knowledge that is there. So Jesus has divine knowledge of this donkey and whose mother is going to be right there with him. And so it's, it's more than simply saying, go into town and find a donkey. You understand? He tells the story. You will find a donkey tied up next to its mother. It will be one that nobody's ever ridden on. See, and then on the other side of this, with divine knowledge, it's working on the owners. The owners let it go. You hear what I'm saying here? The owners have let it go. I mean, what happened here is he had the divine knowledge that the donkey was going to be there and the, and the owners on the other side are going to let that donkey be taken. This is the way it works. It appears that the Lord is working on both sides of the equation. Do you hear what I'm saying? On one side, he's saying the donkey's going to be there. On the other side, the owners are going to let that donkey go. He's worked on the owners as well. Is that really weird? 
No, when God tells you to do something, he also provides the resources to do it on the other side of this. It would be strange for God to tell you to do something and there were no resources there for you to do it with. You know, you don't know that it's going, when you took those, those two guys, they took off. They didn't know there was going to be a donkey there. They only believed what Jesus had said. And they go and they find that donkey, just like he said. And they begin to take the donkey and the owners say, what are you doing? He said, our Lord has need of it. Okay, we'll let you take it. This is the way that it works. You see, I've heard people, you're going to say, nobody does. I've heard this stuff. Guy went up to a girl, true story. And he said, God told me that we're supposed to get married. If that were true, what would have happened on the other side? The girl would have known it too, right? That would be, see, God would work on both sides of the equation. And he didn't tell the girl. So that's the other side of that story. So the response of the owners is as much divine knowledge as there is of the fact that that donkey would be there. Now, I'm going to say this to you folks. If I were to say to you, I want you to go down to the Honda dealership down here, and I want you to take the white CRV that's in the lot and bring it to me, would you go? I hope the answer is no. (laughs) Do you understand what I'm saying to you? I don't have divine knowledge. They're not going to be working on the other end down there. You understand what I'm saying? What you will do probably is get arrested for trying to do that. So when God has the divine knowledge and he commands you to do anything that's out there, you could, and maybe you believe that you can't do it. Well, God tells you to do it because he knows you can And if you say, I don't have the resources, God is going to provide those resources so that you can. Because God is, in his divine knowledge, knows that he's calling you. And he knows on the other side that he's going to provide what you need in order to do this. When Moses started out, when Moses started out, what did Moses say? I can't do this. I can't do this. I don't talk real good. Some people think he stuttered. He could have been just like me. That's all it was, is the problem. You know, the situation, he, he may not just simply been able to talk very good. And so, and then what did he say? I, I don't have the authority to do this. Do you understand this? When God gives you the command, you have the authority. You have the authority to do it. And so, then he begged God to get, please anybody but me. But do you know what they called Moses later? They called Moses a friend of God. You remember that? Friends of God receive as much divine knowledge as they need. You become a friend of God, it becomes very exciting. And you receive as much knowledge as you need. Jesus said in John 15, 15, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You have to realize that when God does in his divine knowledge, he gives you just enough for you to know and go do it. And you have to believe on the other side, the resources are there. Second thing I learned from this story. 
Jesus is to be praised. You know, a lot of people think that Jesus only came to serve them. That's what it was. You know, so what, what, the only time they come to Jesus, they come to church and they'll say, Oh, Jesus, I'm poor now. I need some money. Oh, Jesus, I'm sick now. I need to be healed. Oh, Jesus, I'm lonely. I need somebody else. Jesus, I've been ignored. I mean, whatever it is, they come to church for that. And they think that he's come to serve them. Well, here's what it says in that scripture. The disciples threw their cloaks on that little donkey and Jesus said on it. Here's the situation. Folks, I know that some people have trouble with this. Let me give you kind of the historical background or, or at least some of the things we know. If Jesus was an average man at that time, he was five foot to five foot two inches. He's about this tall. Just to give you an idea there. And he would have weighed about 100 pounds. You understand? He would have weighed probably 100. That's still probably, you're going to say, that's too much weight for that little donkey. Well, let me give you another little insight. The God that sat on that donkey also gave the donkey the strength to be able to carry him. Do you hear what I'm trying to say to you? It didn't hurt the donkey. And I think a lot of people say that little, you know, it's going to break the donkey's back. Well, the plan was for Jesus to get on this donkey. He allowed these cloaks to be put on there. He purposely gets on the donkey himself. He doesn't refuse any of the praise. Remember the times when Jesus said, don't go tell anybody. Don't go tell anybody that this is not that time. This is the time for people to praise him. The time is now. When I was in seminary, we had an interim pastor in the church that I was a member of uh, named Jack Taylor. And Jack preached on praise for three months, every sermon, morning and night. His book, The Hallelujah Factor, if you want to get those. In fact, the book is word for word is sermons. So if you want to see what he preached, you can get The Hallelujah Factor. But anyway, Jack preached from that. And one of the things that I remember that he said was this. A Satanist, that's somebody who worships Satan, can curse God for an hour and a half without repeating himself. And a Christian cannot praise God for a minute and a half without, pra- without repeating himself. That's what he said. A Satanist, an hour and a half. Curse God. No trouble. Christian, a minute and a half. And he can't praise him. Though. And one of the things that he did... He told us to lift our hands to praise God. I want to tell you what. This was a Southern Baptist church in Texas in the early 80s. And most of the people were white. You understand? And after that three months was over, the leaders decided they needed a different interim pastor. You hear what I'm saying here? And I was liberated by being able to praise God. Raise my hands when I wanted to praise Him and tell Him how much I loved Him. And I know that some of you out here are going to say, but I wasn't raised that way. (laughs) Well, let me say this to you. You go to the doctor, and when you go to the doctor, you, the doctor says you're not, you're not eating healthily. He says, so what I want you to do is I want you to have fruit and vegetables and fruit in the morning and breakfast and, and then vegetables for lunch and dinner every day. And what do you say to the doctor? I wasn't raised that way. Think about that for a moment. You're sort of like the guy that uh, I heard about. He went to the doctor. The doctor said, you know what? 
uh, you've got you've to cut back on your wine, women, and song if you're going to live any longer. And so what did he do? He gave up singing. You understand what I'm saying to you. You do that which is only convenient. You do that which you have only been able to do and not something outside of your comfort zone. You know, one of the reasons that you can get out of your comfort zone is when you have to do something that is, you know, exciting. Exciting in church. So the third thing I learned, Jesus is the divine sacrifice. Well, let's see if we can see what happened here. Jesus sends his disciples into Bethany. That's where this uh, donkey is going to be. The Mount of Olives is there. Bethany has a very special, significant place for him. You see, it is here that Mary would anoint his feet with oil and weep on them and dry them with her tears. It is here that he will go to Mary and Martha's house and, and he'll eat with them. It is here that he will raise Lazarus from the dead. You understand, that all happens in Bethany. This is what happens. He goes to Bethany. It is here that the religious leaders decided they were going to kill him after Lazarus is brought back to life. It says in John eleven fifty three, right in that story, so from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. You see, it was here that he will ride in and they will all be singing Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna to him as he's doing this. It is this point that he's going to irritate the religious leaders to the nth degree. This is the place that you could do it. You see, it's the time of the Passover. It is the time of the Passover and it's most symbolic time as it ever could have been. But, but when you think of that night before he was crucified, he went to the Garden of Gethsemane. I've been to the Garden of Gethsemane. And you realize the time of the Passover, over two million people will swell Jerusalem up. There's going to be people camping everywhere around there because of the Passover. And if you go into the Garden of Gethsemane and you think about that place when it is at night and there's people camping everywhere, they had to have somebody who would point him out. It was dark. All they had was torches. That was really all that they had there was torches to, to see the light. And so they're going through that Garden of Gethsemane and they have Judas to point him out. But even at that moment, they can't even recognize what Judas has done in kissing him and, and saying, here he is. And John records it this way. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to him, them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. And when Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and they fell on the ground. Understand, you look at the scriptures. When a non-believer comes in the presence of God, they fall backwards. When a believer comes in the presence of God, you know which direction they fall? Forward. They fall on their faces. But here's what happened here. And so he asked them again. Here's a point. You know, they can't get it. Here's the deal. Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. Do you realize what's going on? I'm over here. I'm over here. Come get me. He was giving himself as a rest, as the, uh, the Savior. 
He is that divine sacrifice. Jesus gave his life. They didn't take it from him. He gave his life for us. Fourth thing I've learned. Jesus is Lord. The disciples did exactly what the Lord required of them. That is essential to being a disciple, by the way. You know, I think a lot of people think that, you know, the only decision that they ever have to make is they need to make the decision that Jesus is the Savior and that I'm saved and that's it. That is a lie straight from the devil. I want to hear that. That's not the only decision you'll ever make. The other decision you need to make is, is Jesus going to be your Lord? You're going to have to say, Jesus is my Lord. And when that happens is you don't come to the edge and you decide to stop. You take the step over it every time because Jesus is your Lord. See, here's the situation. Salvation should recognize lordship, but a lot of people don't let it recognize the lordship. So Jesus used the word disciple to describe his followers. And each of these deals with a measure of lordship in terms of, are we going to take that step over? Jesus said in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. Now, why is it so important that we love people and love everybody? That's really what, it, what it's, uh, we're talking about here. Is because if you don't, you're not a disciple of Jesus Christ because the Great Commission says, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, not to know all that I've commanded you. Having their Bible read through, you know, year by year or whatever you do, and you don't do what he says, doesn't make you any better than the people that don't go to church. It makes a difference when we obey. What is essential here? Loving like Jesus loved. And you obey this commandment. In Luke 14, 26, Jesus said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, what is essential here? That you put nothing in the way of your relationship to Jesus and that you simply follow him. A true disciple of Jesus must accept the lordship of Jesus without question. See, these disciples that went and got that donkey, they trusted Jesus. They, would, they went with the knowledge that he had sent them. And they had only one thing, the Lord told me to do this. That was the only excuse that they gave to those owners of that donkey as well. And so what happens with you? Is that you have to make that decision. That decision that says Jesus is my Lord. And I take that step. I take that step. You have to take on the the attitude of Paul. Which has already been read by the way. Indeed I count everything as lost. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things. And count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So you look at the disciples. They left what they had in order to follow Jesus. And then we look at the present day disciples of Jesus Christ. 
And we recognize that those are the people that leave all that they have in order to follow Jesus. And there's so few people, so few people out there that we have stories of this. There's so few people of that. Not that you have to leave where you are, unless the Lord tells you to do it, but that you have completely taken yourself and you presented yourself to the Lord and said, here I am. Here I am, Lord. I'm yours. This is the story. I I remember the story of Nick Ripkin in the book, The Insanity of God. He leaves all that he has in Kentucky and he goes to be a missionary. He goes to places that threaten his life. In fact, some of the people that uh, he, he fellowships with will be, will be executed. Some of the people that he was fellowshipping with in these other countries will be in prison. In fact, his own son, who goes on the mission field there, his family goes on the mission field, his own son will die because he's on the mission field. He's given it all. But what we'd rather preach in church today is how Jesus is going to make you rich and heal you and make you the most famous person in town. This is what we preach so often. But discipleship is following Christ even when you don't see what comes next. You take that step beyond the step that you, that you can see. See, all of us, though, I'll say this, aren't called to be missionaries. I was willing to go, but Lord never would call me. But we are all called to the Lordship of Jesus Christ when we come to Christ. And I will ask you, what has Satan enticed you with that keeps you from stepping over that edge? Is it the lust of the flesh? Is it the lust of the eyes? Is it the pride of life? Is it somebody that is in your life that you say, I don't want to ever leave them behind in any way? What is it that is there? That it's is it sex? Money or fame, really, what is it that is there? It's keeping you from having that full, abundant life. And I will tell you something. You think about Moses. When Moses finally did make that step, and went through, you, think his, you think his life got boring after that? <laughs> he got exciting after that. You're wondering where your excitement is? You keep walking up to the edge. And you keep coming back. And you walk to the edge. You can make that decision today. What I'm going to ask you to do, would everybody just bow their heads? Bow their heads just for a moment. I'm going to let you do something for the Lord. If, if you are ready to make that decision, that you're going to follow the Lord, He is your Lord, would you just raise your hand? Yeah. Okay, I see some of you are willing to make that decision. Some of you. Okay. You can put it back down. You made, you, what you did was when you raised your hand, you made a commitment to the Lord. You said, I, nothing's going to get in the way between me and the Lord. Nothing's going to get in the way. Okay, pray with me. Father, I pray especially for the few that raised their hands. I pray, Father, that you will give them the most exciting, life-changing things that they can ever have. And I pray for those who couldn't, who couldn't make that decision. They couldn't because there's something in front of them that they can't let go. I pray, Lord, that you reveal to them they must let go of whatever it is. I pray, Father, for people to recognize that the Christian life 
was never intended to be boring. And that the reason that it sometimes is, is because, because we've made it that way.